It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It said, great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, and small minds discuss people. Let's be small minds. Two, from Bill Clinton to Donald Trump to Leonardo DiCaprio, the Epstein list. Three, listener emails. It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to Monday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. You can watch the Will Kane Podcast on YouTube and follow me on X at Will Kane. Lately, I have been obsessed with owls. Yes, the bird. Owls. The bird of prey, a predator. With big eyes. I don't know why I'm obsessed with owls, but they're quickly rising the ranking of Will Kane's favorite non-mainstream animals. No dogs, no cats, no standard household pets, no horses, no yard animals. The wild. I guess it was my Instagram feed where all of a sudden I started getting some owls and who knows what I've looked for that put that into the algorithm. But all of a sudden I've got owls walking across the kitchen floor. I've got owls being pet. I've got owls swooping in to land on a post. I've got owls hunting and I find them fascinating and terrifying. I don't know. It's the big round eyes. It's the emotionless yet, you know, dangerous look on their face. It's how they puff their heads out. It's the sounds that they make. It's that they're a silent predator. It's that they creep at night. It's those gigantic talons. It all adds up to something that just seems otherworldly, impossible. And we don't see owls, again, because they're nocturnal. I think owls are underrated. I mean, I'm telling you, they are terrifying. Off the top of my head, all I can think of really is the rice owls and the temple owls. And I can't figure out why we're running around here with so many falcons and eagles. I mean, falcons and eagles get all the pub. And really, no one's appreciating the danger and the fear inspired by the owl. Got a lot of personality from what I can tell. Now, I think it's a psychopathic personality. I would never trust an owl. You can't just let an owl roam around your house. This is no parakeet. I mean, this thing looks like on a moment's notice with literally out no blink of the eye. It's ready to sink those talons into your neck. And yet somehow, like at the top of the Empire State Building, I'm attracted to walking to the edge. I am attracted to the danger of the owl. It's something. And they're kind of cute, especially when they're babies. Chicks, they're kind of cute because of those big eyes. Even though, again, there's no emotion in those eyes. I think the owl could be the serial killer of the animal kingdom. I mean, all, all animals kill, but they're usually doing it for, you know, nourishment, food, part of the, you know, cycle of life. I think an owl could be doing it just for fun. And how would I know? I wouldn't know. Because you see nothing, just vacant round 
gigantic eyes and gigantic talons. I think always number one in the Will Kane rankings of non-mainstream animals, I think at a permanent position is the donkey. Love the donkey. Such an underrated animal. Tons of personality. As soon as I have enough land, I'm getting a donkey. Without a doubt, I will have, I will own a donkey. But right now, and I can't make any promise that I will ever own one, but right now, coming in at number two is the owl. You know who else is number two? The Dallas Cowboys, the second seed in the NFC playoffs. And that's awesome news, Cowboys Nation. Here's why. That means two home games in the playoffs. They don't have to either meet the San Francisco 49ers or travel to see any other team except for the San Francisco 49ers for this playoff. If it goes according to plan, it should be a Cowboys-Niners NFC Championship game in San Francisco. Cowboys are absolutely dominant at home. Dominant. Now, I don't want you to think my chest is puffed out like an owl. I don't want you to think that I'm all of a sudden feeling good about myself. I am on a bit of a heater, and in retrospect, we do have to see the Texas Longhorn season as a victory. But when it comes to football, I'm not walking around like it's fourth and seven, and I've got Vince Young at my quarterback in the national championship game. I don't feel like it's third and ten, and I've got Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin. Those were moments in my life as a sports fan where it wasn't just enjoyment. It was cockiness. I knew. I knew. I knew Troy and Michael would convert the first down. I knew Vince would be a hero. I don't care how good of a season it was for the Texas Longhorns. I never walked around with certainty. And this Cowboys team doesn't give me a sense of certainty. So even though they're dominant at home, I don't put it past, I don't know, whatever it's going to be, the Green Bay Packers or who knows, coming into Dallas and all of a sudden the Cowboys just lay in a turd. But I will say they are dominant at home. Their point differential, their points per game, setting aside what they did to the commanders yesterday, their points per game at home versus on the road is night and day. It is dominant. So two playoff games at home, the number two seed, thank you, Dallas Cowboys. We'll be right back with more of the Will Kane Podcast. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus. They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? 
from finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience. Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Story number one. Great minds speak about ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Eleanor Roosevelt, Joe Biden, Vivek Ramaswamy, John Fetterman, and Mike DeWine. Let's talk about people in politics. Joe Biden, in essence, launched his campaign last Friday for president. Biden gave a speech in Pennsylvania wherein he set the stage, he set the themes for what will be 2024. Although I think there will be a nice, heavy side dish of abortion, the main entree is clearly going to be democracy and Donald Trump. In the speech last Friday, Joe Biden once again hit an angry tone and mentioned either democracy or Donald Trump something like 45 times. There were zero mentions of the economy, zero mentions of the border, zero mentions of jobs, zero mentions of any of the issues that not only are at the top of the list for Americans, but on the list of concerns for Americans. Now, the concern that Joe Biden will have you believe is that we are on the edge of authoritarianism, that we're on the edge of losing our democracy. You know, I've gone back and forth on whether or not I think the Biden campaign and the Democrat Party actually believe there's some great threat to democracy or whether or not it's just designed to instill fear to consolidate power. I mean, we have recent historical precedent to be very cynical about the use of fear, the use of fear in any relation to power. I mean, you should be afraid of misinformation. You should be afraid of disinformation. You should be afraid of COVID. You should be afraid of crazy right wingers. But I actually think in a way that they believe Donald Trump represents this existential threat to America. And the reason I think they believe that is the depths, the links that they've gone to stop Donald Trump. I mean, unprecedented COVID changes to our voting mechanism in 2020. Extensive Internet and mainstream media censorship. To control first, yes, the stories that reach your ears, like the Hunter Biden laptop prior to the election in 2020, but also the words that leave your lips or at least go through your fingertips, your thumbs in, onto the Internet. I mean, the censorship regime, I would think, I would think if we were people like Roosevelt invites us to be, great minds to discuss ideas would represent a real threat to democracy. But I do think, based upon the links that they've gone, which have now evolved into lawfare, you know, attempting to wrap Donald Trump in the final year of this election up in multiple criminal and civil cases. And then finally, in the name of defending democracy, removing Donald Trump from the ballot of democracy. It's always important to pause and remind everyone that the United States of America is not a democracy. We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. That is not semantics. That is our form of government. Now, I do think a lot of people 
wouldn't know that had never taken a course in civics. But I also think that it's a purposeful manipulation of language because all of the mechanisms of the constitutional republic are what stands in the way of the coalescence of power. Interestingly, the mechanisms of a constitutional republic were designed to protect the rights and interests of the minority, any form of minority, racial minority, gender minority, viewpoint minority. You can't simply rule by majority. What's popular does not determine the course of the nation. There are some rights inalienable, protected from a popular vote. But manipulating a popular vote is much easier than overturning the tenets of a constitution, at least until you control the Supreme Court of the United States. So remind the public, propagandize the public, brainwash the public. We are a democracy, but we are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. But again, what represents a threat to democracy? One man's ego or the course of real world events that we can see before our eyes undermining the ideas of democracy. Biden in that speech talked about Trump being, I mean, he directly analogized Trump to Hitler. This podcast is published Monday morning. On Monday, it's expected that, that Joe Biden will give another speech today wherein he equates supporters of Donald Trump and make America great again, MAGA, the movement to white supremacy. This year, is going to be a year not just of division, but pulling apart again at the seams of cohesion for this nation. And this is the theme. This is the theme. This is the stage set by Joe Biden asking you to support him in this division, in undercutting democracy in the name of democracy. Like everything else we've seen over the past five years, the sins of which they accuse their opponent are the exact same sins they commit. Those that yell racism are the biggest racists. Those that yell anti-science are, in fact, anti-science. Those that suggest Republicans are trying to silence the vote are removing the ability to vote for Donald Trump. This is the case he's making. This is Joe Biden. J.P. Morgan Research put out a fascinating note. They often make political projections so that investors can know what's coming in the year ahead. J.P. Morgan 538 Bloomberg, dated December 6, 2023, reads as follows as bullet point number three in their letter to investors. President Biden withdraws, I quote, sometime between Super Tuesday and the November election, citing health reasons. Biden passes the torch to a replacement candidate named at the Democrat National Committee. The research goes on to say Biden has a low approval rating for a president with 10% under 10% job creation since his inauguration, although that figure is the byproduct of his inauguration coinciding with the rollout of COVID vaccines and the reopening of the U.S. economy. Alluding to the fact, what would the job numbers be? And by the way, it's worth a worth note. Job numbers, I don't know if you know this story, but job numbers have been revised 10 of the 11 last months. So they publish a job number for the month. It's reported on widely. Everyone gets an idea in their head of job creation. And then, oh, sometime weeks later, they revise them. They don't revise them up. 10 out of 11 times, they've revised them down. The initial number 
again, this is the administration of transparency and accuracy information is making numbers up when it comes to the job market. By the way, also, the administration of transparency has just, I don't know if you saw this story, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin just spent a week in the hospital. I think it was four or five days in the hospital, and nobody knew. No reporters, not the American public, and not the commander-in-chief of the United States, not President Joe Biden. Pentagon reporters from CNN to Fox, Jen Griffin, Barbara Starr, have said, this is the kind of stuff they have said. CNN, CNN has said, this is the kind of stuff you would see from communist China. And said, I don't know, I believe as a CNN reporter said, I don't know that when we can ever again trust the Pentagon. And it's kind of important to trust the Pentagon. You know, multiple front wars across the world. The Secretary of Defense is sixth in command, in the chain of command, to lead the United States government. It's unacceptable for the American public and beyond the ability to even conceive that the President of the United States would not know that the Secretary of Defense is out of commission for a week. Now, reports suggest he went in for an elective surgery that went poorly, and then he had to stay in for four or five days, and at one point he was in the ICU. This is a big deal, and it's coming from the administration that not prides itself, prides itself on convincing you through propaganda that it is the most transparent administration in history that's fighting for accurate information, that fights against misinformation, and publishes job report numbers that are false, made up out of thin air, 10 out of 11 months. J.P. Morgan, Bloomberg 538, saying, this theme, this theme, the defense of democracy, fighting authoritarianism, fighting Donald Trump, is not going to work. Lawfare hasn't worked. Depending on the outcome of the Supreme Court of the United States, who will hear this case on February 8th, the Colorado case, removing Donald Trump from the ballot doesn't seem to be working. And poll numbers suggest Joe Biden isn't working against Donald Trump. And they are projecting by the end of the Democrat National Committee this coming summer, you'll have a different nominee for president than Joe Biden. Vivek Ramaswamy, by all accounts, probably will not be the Republican nominee for president. He's suggesting there'll be a surprise in Iowa. He's currently polling at 7% behind Nikki Haley, behind Ron DeSantis, and behind, well behind Donald Trump. But Vivek Ramaswamy is, at least to this person's eyes, opening eyes like an owl. Man, he really has a grasp on his thoughts. I'm impressed, and not just like in a tactical or skill-based manner. I'm impressed with his ability to think on his feet, live in the moment of a confrontation, keep his cool, land his thoughts. As someone who's debated and been in the arena, I pride myself on all these years. And by the way, stay tuned. I know I've deep-teased it several times. Stay tuned for... News about the Will Kane podcast, but in the past and possibly in the future, I have definitely prided myself on surrounding myself with people who disagree. And I think I'm, look, I know this doesn't have much humility. I think I'm one of the best. Vivek Ramaswamy might be the best. He's really good. And look, at times, and I've, and I hope to have Vivek on very soon, and I've pressed him on like, hey, you know, you didn't always think this way. How much of this is real? His conviction certainly 
would lead you to believe these principles for him are very real. That doesn't mean he's going to come off well in debate. I don't think Vivek did come off well in debate. And I don't know if that means that he can execute on the ideas that he articulates. But boy, can he articulate these ideas in confrontations with NBC reporters, Washington Post reporters, um, hecklers and protesters at his his events. And I don't know. Here's what the question I think fascinating. What's next for Vivek Ramaswamy? That's another question for John Fetterman. What's next? The senator from Pennsylvania continues to surprise. John Fetterman has taken surprising positions for a Democrat on Israel. Now he's taking surprising positions on the border. He said, quote, he doesn't know how anyone can say this is not a problem at the border. He's also now co-sponsored a bill to limit congressional stock trading, which is a shady business. I mean, there are some on the left starting to say, was this guy a plant? Or did his brain get rewired through the sad stroke that he suffered? I mean, sad in terms of personal health, but wonderful in terms of the clarity of his recent thoughts. John Fetterman is interesting, and I want to know what's next for John Fetterman. I hope there's nothing left for the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine. Some two weeks ago, during Christmas vacation, Mike DeWine vetoed a bill of the Ohio legislature that would ban transgender elective surgeries on minors and hormone therapy on minors, puberty blockers, hormone therapy on minors in Ohio. He vetoed this bill, a bill that's been passed in, I don't know, something like a dozen states, Republican, of course, led states, and passed by Ohio leg- Ohio's legislature. He got immediate pushback as he deserves. I said on Fox and Friends, this is shocking. And it took some level of conviction, maybe even courage, in that courage isn't always good. You know, I mean, you could say, you know, like Shane Gillis, the stand-up comedian says, you know, like, like Taliban fighters running out in flip-flops with their buddies with no body armor and zero training show courage. But that doesn't necessarily mean that courage is wise. What kind of courage did it take for conviction like he must believe something here for him to veto a republican-led bill that's already been passed in other states he tried to say you know this is between parents and not for the government well is it just between parents and whether or not to amputate their children's arms or you know because their children self-identify as lazy enable them to you know go down the path of heroin like what Where is the role of government if not chopping off the private parts or stunting their growth irreversible and not without effect of puberty blockers or hormone therapy? Just horrific decision making by Mike DeWine, which he tried to recover by coming back and saying, no, I'm, I'm now in support. I'm in support of a bill that bans surgeries, but I guess leaves hormone blockers and puberty blockers and hormone therapy on the table. I hope this to me. Okay, forget right left, you know? Forget politics. This is such an unsound, unwise, instinctual piece of judgment. I don't trust you on anything if you can't say, hey, you know, we shouldn't be experimenting medically on our children. I hope there's nothing more for Mike DeWine.
There we are, small minds, talking about people. This time, I don't think it's small to talk about them in politics. We're going to step aside here for a moment. Stay tuned. You know him. You love him from his radio show. I know. I can't believe they gave me a show either. Now Jimmy Fallon is coming to Fox News on Saturday night. Look, I'm not here on behalf of either party. I just want to have a party. Now that's what I'm talking about. So grab a frosty mug, pour yourself a beverage, and join me for the all-new Fox News Saturday night with Jimmy Fallon. Fox News Saturday night with Jimmy Fallon. Premieres Saturday, January 13th at 10 p.m. Eastern. Only on the Fox News Channel. Saturdays just got a whole lot funnier. Story number two. Updates with the second, third, and fourth batch of names on the Epstein list. Last week, we talked about the Epstein list. I got an email from a listener. His name is Tim Barbin. He emailed me the following. Zero credibility left. After your winner and loser podcast, 100% lie that Trump was left off the Epstein list. For the record, Trump is listed at least seven times. Utter, complete scumbag you are. I'm a little bit surprised at the vitriol coming from Tim. I don't know if he's a longtime listener, but it is a little bit surprising, the vitriol regarding my character. Maybe you think, Tim, that I have been too soft or maybe even too supportive of Donald Trump. I don't know. There's a lot of anger out there among DeSantis supporters regarding Trump. I, I don't know. Or maybe you're on the left, and I would be happy if we have you know, some percentage of listeners on the left. But I don't know where this comes from, this level of vitriol. But I will tell you, if you're a longtime listener, my goal is to always be fair and to get it right. And so let's revisit the list. Let's talk about Donald Trump to get it right. Let's decide if I'm an utter scumbag. The list right now on the Epstein batches is getting long. It includes the names in the press reports, includes people like Kate Blanchett, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, David Copperfield. Michael Jackson, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Alan Dershowitz, Prince Andrew. Now, the point that I made in our previous discussion about the Epstein list is the only point that I think in the end matters. It's not who's on the list, even if it is revealed some really horrific crimes, crimes, sexual crimes. The point of those crimes is not the perversion of the alleged perpetrator. The real story and the point of the list is, why is there a list? Secondarily, why has there been no arrests from anyone on the list? More importantly, third, who is Jeffrey Epstein? Fourth, how did he get to his position of influence and connections and power? And fifth, who did he work for? Who controlled Jeffrey Epstein? Let's talk about the names on the list for just a moment. Let's go through a few. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton is listed inside the Epstein documents something like 50 times. Uh, He is not directly alleged for any specific crimes in the list. The most damning mention in this list of Bill Clinton, and these are all deposition testimony, largely from a a victim of Virginia Jaffray, wherein she's giving depositions to attorneys. And the following exchange was had. Attorney, let me back up. Do you know if Bill Clinton was a friend of Jeffrey Epstein? Answer, I knew he had dealings with Bill Clinton. I did not know they were friends until I read the Vanity Fair article about them going to Africa together. For what it's worth, there are also stories out there that Bill Clinton, I don't 
I don't think this is metaphorical, like barged into Vanity Fair demanding that story not be published. Question from the Inquisitor again. Did Jeffrey ever talk to you about Bill Clinton? Answer. He said one time that Clinton likes them young, referring to girls. So no direct alleged crime. Pretty damning, though, for Bill Clinton. In that Jeffrey Epstein was a pedophile, sex trafficker. We know that. You know, a legitimate question is, all these people that are around him so many times, did they never know? How could you not know? And then if it's being referenced that one of the girls that was kept around knew that Bill Clinton liked young girls, a lot of smoke around Bill Clinton. For it's worth, Epstein also had that famous painting of Bill Clinton in a dress. And I think that ties more into the questions of who did Jeffrey Epstein work for? Seems like a pretty in-your-face, I've got you. I've got you by the crotch. Who's got the real power? Clinton or Epstein? Or the agency that controls Epstein? Prince Andrew, all over the documents, everywhere. Um, there are stories in here, yes, about people having sex with Prince Andrew. There's a story where somehow involves a puppet. I'll read directly. They put the puppet on Virginia's lap, and I sat on Andrew's lap. And they put the puppet's hand on Virginia's breast, and Andrew put his hand on my breast, and they took a photo. Please name a person. This is a question. Please name a person that Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's confidant and co-conspirator, directed you to go have sex with. Answer, Prince Andrew. Glenn Dubin uh, is an Epstein friend, billionaire, was a hedge fund manager. There was this exchange. Okay, well, I need you to say a time when Glenn Maxwell directed you to go have sex with another person. So can you please tell me to whom Glenn Maxwell asked you to go have sex with? Objection to form in the deposition. Then the answer, Glenn Dubin. Tom Pritzker, we talked about him, billionaire, Hyatt Hotel Empire. Question, if I were to ask you the question, how many times you have had sex with Tom Pritzker, do you know what the answer to that question means? Or do you know what that question means? I believe so. All right. What is the answer to that question? I believe I was with Tom once. Then the names get looser, less direct connection to something went wrong. I'll give you another example. Um, Illusionist magician, David Copperfield. Question, have you ever met David Copperfield? Yes. And do you recall when you initially met him? Yes. Can you tell me what that was? Sure. Someone called me from the house and said that he would be there. And if I wanted to come have dinner, then I could meet him. And what happened at dinner? He did some magic tricks. Did you observe David Copperfield to be a friend of Jeffrey Epstein's? Yes. Did Copperfield ever discuss Jeffrey's involvement with young girls with you? Answer. He questioned me if I was aware that girls were getting paid to find other girls. Now, again, no specific allegation of a crime, but it Suggest if you're around Jeffrey Epstein, you might be picking up what he's putting down. You might have some sense of what's going on. But not always, because some of these names in here are simply the attorneys asking the question of whether or not someone was involved. And the answer is often no. And that stinks because now your name is somehow associated with Jeffrey Epstein, not even from a witness, but from an inquisitor. That's the case, it seems to be with Leonardo DiCaprio or Kate Blanchett. That's just where the, the attorney's saying, did you ever hear Jeffrey Epstein 
mention Leonardo DiCaprio or Kate Blanchett? And the answer is often no. But Jeffrey Epstein bragged often that he knew celebrities and he said he was on the phone with them, but there's no evidence that he actually was on the phone with them. Here's one. Did you ever meet anybody famous when you were with Jeffrey? I met Michael Jackson. Oh, really? Where was that? At his house in Palm Beach, at Jeffrey's house in Palm Beach. Did you massage him? I did not. Massages were almost the euphemism for going somewhere in the house, wherever you may be, on the plane, on the island, with a young girl. And then there's Donald Trump. Donald Trump's name, I think, I believe his name is mentioned somewhere around seven times in the documents. It's the same nature as those who are not alleged to have conducted any crime with Donald Trump. The references, as far as I can tell, and I'm open to my... Will came podcast at Fox.com, where I get this wrong. These pages, by the way, there's multiple batches. And by the time I talked to you last time, I believe it was only one batch. Now we're up to four batches. Donald Trump, how was he referenced? Trip to Atlantic City, Jeffrey Epstein says, I don't have it directly in front of me. Jeffrey Epstein says, basically, something like, we'll get hooked up through Donald Trump, meaning at a casino and a hotel in Atlantic City. Trump himself has addressed this. He said he knew Jeffrey Epstein in Palm Beach in the 90s. He said Jeffrey Epstein was uh, connected. He was a player about town. He said everybody knew Jeffrey Epstein. And he said he didn't like Jeffrey Epstein, and he distanced himself from Jeffrey Epstein not long after that. I don't know. But when I, I don't know the truth, but all I'll tell you is this. When I tell you in the previous episode that Donald Trump was a winner of this, I stand strong on that statement. I gave winners and losers because if your name is connected to Jeffrey Epstein, and this is stinks, this is the way media does it. So for now, DiCaprio, Blanchett, Michael Jackson, whatever. If your name appears next to Jeffrey Epstein, do you know what people think? Of course you know what people think. They think, oh my gosh, client of Jeffrey Epstein and client, therefore, of sexual crimes. And if your name, as Donald Trump's has for quite some time, is in any way associated with Jeffrey Epstein, pictures, whatever it may be, You're presumed to be dirty with no evidence. But now that we have at least this testimony, Donald Trump's a winner because he's in the same bucket as Michael Jackson or any of these others. Name associated in some way. Less than David Copperfield. Less than Michael Jackson. You know, maybe more than Leonardo DiCaprio. So yeah, I think when you walk about with assumptions and press insinuations, that there's something more. And all it turns out is, ah, I knew him in Palm Beach and he dropped his name and Epstein dropped his name as though he could hook him up in Atlantic City. You come out with this bit of truth here, a winner. I happen to think that's me doing my best to tell the truth, not running political hack for a candidate that I want to win president. And I happen to think, I'd like to believe as I go to bed tonight, I'm not an utter scumbag. Story number three, viewer emails. A week or two back, I published my New Year's resolutions review of 2023 and what I'm hoping to do for 2024. I got a lot of feedback from you. I'm not going to be able to share it all, but I'm going to try to share some. I love the interaction. And again, I know, deep tease, more of that soon, very soon to come. But for now, here's some of your emails. John Mock emails in. He said, hey, I listened to your 2024 resolutions and you mentioned wanting more ideas for a physical challenge. There's a race in Wisconsin on the Ice Age Trail called the Frigid Fox Ultra Trek. You get to 24 hours to navigate 63 miles. 
since it's January in Wisconsin, you never know what you'll get for weather. It could be 20 below zero, could have 30 inches of snow. Of course, you couldn't do it till January 2025, so it may not fit your requirements for 2024. Hey, John, it may not fit my requirements for my life. I want to do a lot of hard things. I don't want to be in 20 below zero, and I don't want to march through 30 inches of snow. Again, that like that thing of like standing on the edge of a skyscraper, there's a bit of me that's attracted. I mean, I've read, I think I've read a couple books now about Arctic explorers, many of whom don't come back. I just watched the movie uh, Society of Snow on Netflix, and I watched the movie in the 90s called Alive. They're both about the 1972 Uruguayan rugby team who took a flight from Uruguay to Chile and it crashed in the Andes and they were in the Andes for 70 something days, you know, frigid temperatures. They resorted to cannibalism. It's an interesting story. Pretty good movie. I don't really want to live anything close to that. I think I'm happy to read or watch a movie that approximates 30 inches of snow and 20 below zero. Jordan Castellini says, you should look up Spartan racing or even a terrain race. You have different distances and around 20 to 30 obstacles apiece. They have them all over the country. Another one, this one from John Burnt says, great resolutions, Will. I was never a distance runner, but I ran my first half marathon at the age of 50 because of a challenge from my daughter. I recommend a training plan. The fourth physical challenge, look for an obstacle course run like Tough Mudder. I hear you both, John, Jordan. I don't know. I feel a little bit like Tough Mudders or Spartan Races are very 2012. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions. I think that's great. You're doing it. But I don't know. That, that thing kind of came and went. And I never did one. Now I don't feel a huge burning ambition to do it. But maybe I will. Sam Herbison writes in, hey, Will, I'm 20 years old. I've been a fan of yours since I was 13 when you were working at ESPN. I loved your ESPN show, and I discovered your podcast about a year ago, and I've been listening since. I love that you reason through things and use your intellect and reason to find the truth. It's something very few people do today, especially people my age. Your thought process is a compliment to your sports and political takes. Thanks, man. Appreciate that, Sam. One complaint about you, here we go, is that you are an insufferable Texas homeboy. <laughs> I sincerely respect that, as you should. You have every right to root and cover for your hometown teams, and I get that. But I think you would benefit from trying to be a bit more objective about your sports teams. Maybe. I'm an insufferable Seattle homeboy. Oh, are you taking your own advice there, Sam? And I would like to say horns down. Bow down to Washington. Bravo. Sam does go on. In a, in a long email, which I appreciate, though, and he says he listened to the New Year's resolutions and inspired him to set five goals for himself. He says self-motivation has always been something I have struggled with, and I hope that you give regular updates on the podcast on your resolutions so we can hold each other accountable. Love that. Thanks, Sam. And then he recommends me two bo- books because I said I'm going to read 10 books this year. First one I'm working on right now is Musk. Uh, one book he recommends is Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown. It's about the 1936 U.S. men's Olympic rowing team that beat Hitler's Nazis in Berlin. It's now a movie out. Here's what I would say, Sam, is I have not seen the movie. I've read the book. I agree. It comes with a high recommendation. Boys in the boat. 
And now he also says the second book is The Voyage of Alpha Centauri by Michael D. O'Brien. It's a fictional book set in the near future. Earth is under one world government rule. Mankind has built a ship that can travel half the speed of light, and they're sending 660 people near the nearest inhabitable solar system, the Alpha Centauri system. You know, Sam, I've never been much for sci-fi. I don't know, not my thing. But I am going to consider this. I am because I need some variation. You know, I'm doing a biography right now. I'm going to shoehorn in a couple of Old West historical narrative books because, you know, I just get down that way. But maybe I need to pick up a sci-fi. Like, you're never going to sell me on Lord of the Rings. I'm just, that ain't, that ain't, that's not, again, it's not how I get down. It was a big hurdle for me to get over the dragons, to get into Game of Thrones. And I know that's fantasy, not necessarily sci-fi. Uh, but I got over it, and I loved Game of Thrones. So maybe I can get over sci-fi, and I'll, and I'll dig uh, Alpha, the voyage to Alpha Centauri. Tom Yukis writes in, Will, in your hour and 15-minute early morning, try listening to Bible in a Year podcast with Father Miles Schmitz. Listening to the 20 or 30 minute reading is a great way to start your day. Well, Tom, I mean, if I listen to podcasts, I'm not really accomplishing my goal of quiet time, but maybe I could do it during my um, workout. I don't know that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I do think it's good to have a guide. Um, good friend just gave my boys a daily guide, one page. And I've told you before, the Wisdom of Proverbs by Tim Keller is something that I've enjoyed because it's, it's like one, one and a half page. So it's like a daily lesson. And I do think there's something good and digestible about that. Deborah Ryder says, hey, Will, love the podcast. Thanks for the job you do. Anyway, I'm writing to you because I totally get the fact that you're so involved in the tragedy that occurred in Maui. But can you or anyone else in the media follow up and report on the tragedy that occurred in East Palestine, Ohio? I haven't heard anything about the status of the cleanup or assistance going to the citizens of Ohio. Generally speaking, these people aren't wealthy and haven't had near the media coverage of their plight. Please do ask a colleague to investigate what's happening to our fellow Americans in Ohio. Deborah, done. I'm on it. I'm going to catch us up on what happened in East Palestine, Ohio. Donna Walker writes in, I've fallen behind on your podcast and I just finished your visit with Trey Gowdy and the resolutions. Your last physical challenge should be with your boys. It would make a memory for them. Hike to the top of one or two 14ers in Colorado. Somebody else suggested I do the Appalachian Trail, which would be hard for me to do, um, you know, when I work weekends. But um, I love the idea of doing something adventurous. And I know I just said, I don't want to do Spartan Race. or I have wanted to like, canoe the lewis and clark path i've wanted to this sounds ridiculous i know ride a horse along like the good night loving trail you know I, i've wanted to go on a super long hike i want to do the uh what do they call it the camino I'm, I'm forgetting the full name in spain remember they made the movie the way about it with martin sheen i think it was martin sheen and it's a you can choose your distance but it's a religious trek as well and it's a long hike it's not like hiking a mountain it's more i think flat terrain but long you stay in hostels along the way and i think that sounds incredible so i want to do something outside uh i want to figure that out i I got a lot of great emails from you guys um i really appreciate it vikram singh writes in and he he agrees uh getting up early is something that he wants to do and has been doing 
for over a year now. I got divorced in 2022 and struggling with purpose and mindset. He used a guy named Steve Burton to help him adjust that mindset, visualize, journal, and set his path for his day. I appreciate that, Vikram. I appreciate all of you who who wrote in, including Linda Cruel and so many others of you, including Tim Barbin, who thinks I'm an utter scumbag. I mean it. I appreciate every single note. And soon, we'll include your notes and much more to make this much more interactive. That's going to do it for me today here on the Will Kane Podcast. I'll see you again next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcast and Amazon Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.